Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex, and today, the day of recording, is September 22nd, 2001. The number one story in the country, the Gabby Petito murder. The Dow Jones up 1% today, and naturally, as if it was any other day, Virginia Tech fan base are at each other's throat online. I'm only really qualified to talk about that last subject, so I bring on the two usual suspects. First, in the 757, we had the one and only Ricky LeBlue. Rick, what's going on? Did you say 2001 or 2021? Did I say 2001? I don't know. But you know what? You We're did. leaving it in regardless. This is not going to end. <laughs> so, so we, 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 I mean, that's a hell of a way to kick off the pod. What's going on, boys? It's 2001. It's I'm in second grade. Regardless, it's not 2001. It's, it's 2021. I feel like some Virginia Tech fans would prefer it to be 2001. Yeah. Greater days would be ahead. Mike McDaniel, what year do you think it is? Uh, 2021. Well, that's guess. <laughs> I'll go that's with correct. One person who I don't think ever really knows what year it is or what day it is or where he is, is our good friend, Dr. Jeremy Counts. But he is the best sponsor in the world. Yes, shout out to Main Street Pharmacy. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. My guy, our guy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, I want to start off on a little conspiratorial side. Oh boy. Put your tinfoil hats on. I, you, you can, or you cannot. I, I don't know what you guys are going to say, <laughs> but I feel like this is circulated enough through other podcasts, through the message boards, through Twitter that we have to talk about it. Braxton Burmeister. People saying he's injured. People saying he got injured in the North Carolina game. The evidence kind of there. Less specifically, Apparently, he's windmilling his arm a lot on the sideline. More specifically, every single read option, he hands the ball off when his greatest strength is indeed as a runner. I feel like a Braxton Burmeister run in the red zone when the Virginia Tech team got stopped on multiple occasions would have been useful. How much are you buying this, guys? The single biggest piece of evidence suggesting that Braxton Burmeister might be hurt is the play calling and the fact that they aren't really calling a lot of RPO plays. The windmilling of the arm thing, he's always done that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think that's more of like, uh, as I said, less convincing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's like a tick. Nah, I don't want to say a tick. I, I think it could be. I, I don't feel qualified to talk. I played football in high school. I don't think that qualifies me to really talk about this, but sometimes your shoulder pads get tight with the jersey they have like tight fitting jerseys so i'm wondering if it's more of him just like trying to get comfortable rather than him being actually hurt with a shoulder thing it could be his shoulders hurt i don't know but the, the thing that makes me think that he could be not 100 percent, or the element that makes me think they want to keep him close to 100 percent, is the play calling and we alluded to that on our previous podcast where we said that they hadn't been calling a lot of designed read option plays. Um, it's either a predetermined handoff or, um, you know, there aren't just simply not a lot of situations where Burmeister has designed quarterback keeper plays. 
Uh, Burmeister has been very good with his legs through the first few games, but a lot of those plays have been with broken down passing plays where he scrambled out of the pocket and he's taken off and ran. Uh, the one play against uh, West Virginia this past weekend that comes to mind was third and 23 or third and 24 or whatever it was when he took off on design passing play and ended up picking up the first down with his legs. One of his most athletic plays of the season with his feet, but they're not calling a lot of those designed plays for him. And it's either to protect him from injury or to protect him from further injury. Either way, my belief, and we touched on this on last podcast, is that it's limiting the, what the offense can do. I mean, I, I think Burmeister and his ability as a runner is one of the key components of this offense. And while it's been good through the first three games, a lot of it has been because Burmeister has just kind of taken off on his own. Um, you know, when passing plays break down. So, I mean, Burmeister has been a guy who's been very good in the read option game before. He was very good last year. We alluded to it on this podcast saying that the reads that he was making in the running game, those were an upgrade from Hendon Hooker when Hooker was out. And we mentioned that on this podcast. You don't just forget that overnight. You know what I mean? Like you don't just forget how to do that. I don't think this is a Burmeister is just simply not running the RPOs correctly or, or the read option game correctly. I think they're simply just not calling read option plays with Burmeister. That's my belief. And I, and I think, you know, if you think he's injured, that's what I would point to before him, like windmilling his arm. I, like, I don't, I don't really see that. And he's made throws down the field. So I don't, I don't think he's seriously injured. If he is, um, I, I think he could be, but it's really up for debate, but the play calling is what I would point to first before him doing the windmill thing with his arms, trying to stay loose. Yeah. I know the windmill thing is kind of posturing at a certain point and people looking to come up with more evidence, but at the end of the day, you're exactly right, Mike, because this is Braxton Burmeister. He has always been labeled more of an athlete than a quarterback. He has been heralded for his ability on the ground and when every single RPO and I'll put that in quotation marks over the course of what really is the last two games has always gone to the running back. You have to ask questions because even if he can't throw the ball downfield, and I'm not saying that this necessarily is a bad move by the coaching staff. If he's good to play, but might necessarily be a little banged up trying to take him out of those situations when possible, but you know, you, you don't want to run a quarterback with an injured throwing arm to any degree, and you're going to play to your strengths. That's Braxton Burmeister's strength, and they simply haven't done it. Ricky, what do you think? The only serious thing that <clears throat> I noticed uh, in the last game against West Virginia that made it look like Braxton wasn't 100% was it looked like he was holding his left arm really close to his body. Uh, in between plays. Um, sometimes you can do that if you've got a shoulder issue. Obviously, Braxton took a pretty mean hit against Carolina. It, I mean, it, it would not shock me at all if Braxton is, is, is at least a little banged up. Um, three games into the season, he's a smaller guy. He took a mean shot in the Carolina game. It wouldn't shock me if that is still bothering him. I don't think he's injured to the point where uh, – it's affecting the play calling though. I, I think that they're probably doing that because they want to conserve him for the rest of the season. 
that's been something that we've mentioned on the pod for months now is that if, if you're going to try and get Braxton Burmeister to be able to play 13, 14 games, you're going to have to make sure that, that you don't run him 10 to 15 times a game. And that's historically been the MO for a Virginia tech offense. Um, even when Josh Jackson was the quarterback, they were still trying to work him into the run game a little bit. And with all the other quarterbacks, it's been a staple. And I think this year is a little bit different because everyone can tell that Knox Kadem, Connor Blumrick, neither of those guys are capable of leading this team to where Braxton Burmeister can lead them. Now that's, that's absolutely a fair assessment there, Ricky. And, conspiracies will be conspiracies but we know about Braxton Burmeister and his role on this team for fans out there you might not like Braxton Burmeister you might not think much of Braxton Burmeister as a player in comparison to quarterbacks of Virginia Tech's past but it seems evident that he does give this team the best chance to win after the scare that we saw against Middle Tennessee State after what literally happened to James Mitchell against those Blue Raiders. What's got to be the goal here? How much Braxton Burmeister do we really want to see against Richmond? I mean, the short answer is not very much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, don't play him. Really. Um, <laughs> I'm not convinced no, that's going to be the case. That's I mean, your opinion, though. Is that your opinion? Don't play him at all? No, oh, no, 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 I, he needs to play. Yeah. Um, Virginia Tech barely looked competent against Middle Tennessee State for a half. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Braxton Burmeister shouldn't start any game. Virginia Tech needs to play their best 22 guys at all times. The best three or four um, programs in college football all start their best players for at least a quarter or so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's and here goes back to something that we you know highlighted on the last podcast. Justin Fuente has said he doesn't think this is a team that can blow very many people out. Well, I'm not convinced they're going to blow Richmond out. I mean, Tech's offense has got a lot of issues, and they're still trying to work through those issues right now. So Virginia Tech might be able to score you know 30 ish points a game, or excuse me, 30 points in this game, but that is by no means going to get them to a point where they can pull all of their starters on offense or defense in the third quarter or certainly not after halftime. I think, I think this is going to be another one of those games where Virginia Tech kind of, you know, gets a lead, lags around for a little bit, and over time they will put this game away and the – the result of the game will not be in question by midway through the fourth quarter, but there might be some times in the first, second, and maybe even the early third quarter where this game is, you know, kind of a bit of a stomach ache. And um, I'm pretty sure the fans aren't going to like that. Well, I, of course you guys both just mentioned, and of course, when I say, do you want to play Baxter Burmeister? I assume that you actually do because you know, he's the starting quarterback. And like you said, every team puts their quarterback in for at least a quarter. However, I don't know how many teams in college football are as reliant on their starting quarterback from a depth chart perspective as Virginia Tech. So it's a question worth asking, but 
I want to turn to some of the drama that happened online. And here's my theory. Wednesday is when things turn up a little bit. The game happens on Saturday. People go to work. They have those somewhat enthusiastic first two days. And then they turn to the boards. They turn to their keyboards and they start getting angry. A lot was made about a comparison between Virginia Tech in 2016 following that Tennessee game and Virginia Tech today following West Virginia. What's your take on all the outrage? What's your take on the hype? There's no comparison other than Virginia Tech losing a game to a Power 5 opponent in a close manner early in the year. There's no comparison. I mean, the 2016 team was totally different than... And and quite honestly, the game against Tennessee wasn't close. Like, Tech got out to the lead, but by the end of that game, it was not close. Tech got got ran out of the stadium early. Yeah, and it was, you know, Tech had, what, six turnovers, five or six turnovers in that game. God, that was... That was such a miserable night. <laughs> like That was painful. Bristol's um, a cool-ass arena, but that was such a miserable night. wasn't it quite the opposite of West Virginia because Virginia Tech – Yes, because Tech – Nothing, right? And, like, and, like, Tech absolutely should have won the, the game against West Virginia. And yeah. you turn the ball over six times, you don't deserve to beat anybody. Well, I mean, you probably lose the game against West Virginia by the margin that you lost. I mean, I think the final margin was like three scores against Tennessee. You probably lose by that same amount against West Virginia if you turn it over six times. So, I mean, I guess it wasn't a tough, close loss. I guess I misspoke. What I meant to say was, you know, tough loss early in the year to a Power 5 opponent um, of similar caliber. I mean, that was a late-stage Butch Jones team in Knoxville that was kind of on life support. Um, Did they have the trash can that year? Oh, was that, was that that year? Was that the year? Was that the year of the can? I'm not sure. I think it was before the can, because all that turnover stuff started happening. uh, Like 2017, right? 2017, 2018. I think Miami made the turnover chain and then they started kind of taking off from there. Um, So I think it was, I think that game was before that, but anyway, um, no, I mean, uh, the, the short answer is there's, there's no comparison. I mean, the it, it was a different, differently run offense because the quarterback was had a very different skill set. Um, the offense had veteran receivers everywhere that were not only like proven, but they were two of the best receivers in school history. You don't have that on this team. Uh, the running game was probably every bit as questionable during that time as it as it is now. Um, from just a pure running back perspective. But the defense in 2016 was better, too. This is a very good Virginia Tech defense, but that 2016 defense was one of the better units of the last decade for Virginia Tech. So there's really just no comparison. Laden with future pros all across the board. Yeah, and to to a slight pushback on the 2016 team, Trayvon McMillan was on the roster, and he was a 1,000-yard rusher a couple years before. But Mike's right in that the running game wasn't as efficient as we've seen it in the past, but no, there's, I mean, it's not really conducive to try and draw a, 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 um, a comparison between those two instances and the 2016 team and this year's version of Virginia tech football are vastly different. Um, This is, this is a, a team that is, extremely thin on offense at several key positions, uh, namely receiver and offensive line. 
Um, the quarterback has had nowhere near the production that Gerard Evans had, albeit Gerard's was at the Juco level. Um, again, the defense on the 2016 team was laden with stars. Uh, the veteran leadership on that 2016 team was phenomenal. Uh, Sam Rogers, Kenny Canham, you know, Isaiah Ford, all those guys were bona fide studs in the locker room and off the field. And I'm not really sure that this, this group has that kind of veteran leadership on and off the field. So no, there's no comparison. And that's not to say Virginia tech, you know, can't bounce back and, and start to find the rhythm, especially since Notre Dame looks to be a bit vulnerable, but tech's, Tech's got problems, man, and you can you can look back at history all you want, but that's not going to cover up these issues that are in the here and now. Yeah, there are more questions right now about Virginia Tech's. I mean, coming out of, I'm just thinking back to that 2016 game. I mean, I remember that was the my, most unprecedented college football game in history. Right. I mean, and it, was like, it was such a it was such a spectacle. Right. That, like. It, it, not that it was excusable, but it was somewhat foreseeable that one that one team would kind of fall apart on, under the lights a little bit, right? Yeah, and I remember, like, you know, Virginia Tech wasn't very good in, in 2014 and, and 2015 under Frank Beamer. So by the time the 2016 season ended, where Virginia Tech was pushing Clemson in the ACC championship game, a team that ended up winning the national championship, um that ended up being a bit of a surprise at the end of the year. But I think all of us understood that Virginia tech had that talent on the roster and Beamer and his staff, they just weren't getting the most out of it. Um, and I remember coming out of that 2016 game against Tennessee. And I was thinking, you know, tech played well in the first half and got out to an early lead and then started turning the ball over. And I remember my main takeaway coming out of the Tennessee game was this team has a chance to probably be pretty good if it doesn't, turn the ball over at will every possession and the rest of his season proved to be better. Um, tech lost a weird game against Syracuse. They lost to a Georgia, Georgia tech, tech that year as well. Um, but overall the season was, was pretty good. Um, Virginia tech won the bowl game. It was a 10 win season. Um, ended up being, you know, I think they went 10 and 10 and four, I guess it was that year with the ACC championship game loss. So ended up being a pretty successful season for Virginia tech. But I remember coming out of the Tennessee game. I was like, yeah, that could still be, a successful season because I like the team that that we have this year is a little bit different it's it's more of I think tech can have a successful season because I don't have faith that the rest of the conference can beat Virginia Tech and bingo. bingo this year and and that's not to say that this team still doesn't have you know potential to be to be pretty good on their own but I haven't seen it yet offensively right and um, I guess in the Tennessee game what we saw was kind of flashes Right. Um, and we saw it in the opener. I believe it was against Liberty that year um, where Liberty still, you know, they weren't a good program. Hugh Freeze wasn't there yet. They just moved to the FBS, I believe. Um, so, you know, we hadn't seen it in the opener. And then against Tennessee, we're like, OK, we saw some flashes. We didn't see like Virginia Tech just kind of cruising along against FCS or, or low tier FBS competition. And I just think that it was a different a different time. And I think the program was at a different different level. Um, clearly. And then, you know, the, like I mentioned, the reason why I have questions about the offense is because I don't think 
the quarterback can be consistent. I don't think the offensive line can be consistent. I don't think the running game can be consistent. I don't think the receivers can separate consistently. I wasn't worried about all that with the 2016 team. Like I mentioned, Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips are two of the most decorated receivers in Virginia Tech history, and they were both on the team that year. Virginia Tech doesn't have that at receiver right now. Um, the quarterback, Gerard Evans, put together one of the best single seasons in school history. Virginia Tech doesn't have that right now at quarterback. And the defense, while Virginia Tech's defense has been pretty good so far this year, that 2016 defense was elite elite, like, like top 10, top 15 in the country good. It would be and, interesting to do an experiment and see how many of Virginia Tech starters ended up in the NFL and where that ranks among teams in that 2016 season. And the only defense in recent memory that I think rivaled the 2016 defense was the 2017 defense. All the same like, guys. Yeah, One which quarter. was basically the same group, right? And they were, but at the end of the season, they were quite literally carrying Virginia Tech to wins. I remember the 10-3 victory in Charlottesville that year. Um, so, look, Tech, Tech can bounce back. Like, we talked about this on the last pod. The, the season's not over. Like, things aren't great right now. And I absolutely get it. And I agree with you, but there are opportunities here. And I think most of it is because every other team on Virginia Tech's schedule is going through the same types of issues as it relates to consistency of the product on the field. I mean, we've seen Miami and have their problems. And now Derek King, who knows what's going to happen with him, with his injury. Duke is bad. Pitt just lost to Western Michigan. Um, Virginia got absolutely ran over by North Carolina, who Virginia Tech has already beaten. Georgia Tech, they're a mess, even though they they hung tough with or yeah, hung tough with Clemson last week. So it's just the the potential for this season is based mostly on the fact that the rest of the conference is such a mess right now. Whereas if it were any other year where, you know, North Carolina and Miami looked a bit more potent, uh, I may not have that same feeling. I, f- I might, instead of feeling like those games might be toss-ups, you know, if they were playing today, I, I you know, if, if they were playing right now, I feel like Virginia Tech, or, or excuse me, if it were, it were a situation where those two teams were, you know, humming it at full speed, I would definitely pick Tech to lose. Now, I want to get to talk about, how this conference is kind of in disarray, but we will do that towards the end of the pod. We will have a little lightning round of ACC talk before ACC picks, but there's still some things I feel like we need to cover heading into the Virginia tech Richmond game. And one of those major components is the right tackle position. Silas Jansen goes out. He's seen him in the walking boot on the sideline, the play at tackle afterwards Less than ideal. We'll put it at that, less than ideal. Tyrell Smith is getting beat, drawing penalties. They ultimately move Brock Hoffman out to right tackle, which is ultimately unfair for a guy that's been on the interior offensive line for his entire career. How concerned are you about Silas's injury? And I hope you guys agree with me on this one. If he can play, don't play him. Give him this week, give him the buy, set it up for Notre Dame, right? Yeah, this is a good opportunity for Tech to try and, and find other solutions at right tackle. Um, I don't think it's or I don't think it's controversial to say that Silas really wasn't even all that good at right tackle. I mean, he was he was 
competent, I guess. He was probably almost, you know, maybe a bit better than replacement level. But um, without him there, it definitely is a glaring hole. And I am curious to see if they can get a guy like Parker Clements in the game who um, had injury issues before the West Virginia game and couldn't play. Is he able to, to see what he can do in this situation? Um, do they look at moving someone else out there? Does Brock Hoffman get another game over at right tackle? Do they try and, and just blow it up and move everybody around and, and, and do what we suggested, or at least what I suggested in the last pod, which was try and give Lasita Smith a run at right tackle? I don't know, but they've got to find some options at that position in this game. This is really the only tune-up game left on the schedule. Every game from here on out is going to be a dogfight, and they're going to need their best 22 guys on the field. Yeah, I mean, play Jancy if he's healthy. Um, if he's not 100%, try to get other guys in there. If you need to sit Jancy, sit him. Uh, Virginia Tech should be fine in this game if he's unable to play. It would be a really nice game for Parker Clements to get in there and get some run. The problem is that he hurt himself in practice last week, and we're not exactly sure what his status is and how healthy he is going into this game, but it would be really good to get him in there um, and, and try some other some other options on the depth chart. Uh, they got a junior college transfer named Bob Schick who's buried on the depth chart right now. Um, I, I think he's probably the third option realistically at right tackle if he's getting reps in practice. The reason why he didn't get in the game last week when Virginia Tech was in dire need is because I don't think he's been getting the practice reps. If you can get him some burn in this game, I think that would help. Um, but they got to figure out the right side of the offensive line. I mean, we talk about Braxton Burmeister in, in the running game. We talk about in the passing game and fans, like I mentioned on the last podcast, like fans want Virginia Tech to push the ball down the field more in the passing game, but they got to keep him upright. They got to keep Burmeister off the turf. And I'm not sure that they're able to do that consistently right now. And the offensive line, I don't want to act like the offensive line has been this like gigantic issue all year because it hasn't been, but it wasn't very good against West Virginia. And they're going to be some pass rushes that they go up against here as they get into the bulk of ACC play and against Notre Dame here in a few weeks where, you know, tech's going to have to be able to block consistently on the right side of that offensive line. So I think you got to try to find a solution in this game, you know, whether it's Janzy or somebody else. I mean, I think when Janzy's healthy, he's the starter, but you really need to do your best to develop depth there at right tackle, especially. So in terms of pushing the ball downfield, do you think that, this screen lateral trickery will be enough for Virginia Tech to take a big enough lead to get the starters out of the game because I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I, I want to see Tech try to use the middle of the field more. And then I want to try to open up the passing game down the field. And it's easier said than done. But I think if you're going to try to find a game to work on some things, I think this is the one because I think Virginia Tech's wide receivers, you know, for all the criticism I've given them in regards to their inability to consistently. Uh, separate in coverage. I, th I think that this is a game where you can help them get their confidence up a little bit. Rick, what about you? This needs to be the game where the receivers get back on track. Trey Turner needs to show up in this game. I think Tavion Robinson has played mostly well for the season, but Trey Turner needs to show me something. I am still waiting to see anything from the other receivers on Tech's roster. Uh, Jaden Payout, haven't seen anything from him. We heard all this talk in the summer about Dwayne Lofton and Jalen Jones. 
nothing from them. Um, this is a, a chance for Nick Gallo or Drake Dulius to make an impact in the game. But Virginia Tech's pass catchers have got to do something in this game. You, you've got to try and find something that works because, again, this is the final tune-up. It's not – it gets hard from here on out. Like, and, and, and let's be, let's be, let's be frank here. Richmond is not like – relative to FCS programs, they're actually a, a very good program. And that's not to say that Virginia Tech shouldn't win this game going away because they should. But if you fool around for three quarters, you're going to find yourself in a dogfight with Richmond. And it, it, it could be a one to two score game and you could be one to two plays away from disaster. As much as I hate to say that with Virginia Tech's offensive ceiling, that's that's a position that we're at at this point. So Tech needs to play sound fundamental football. They need to try and fix some of the issues that they've had thus far, uh, namely blocking better on the right side, which other than the early stretch against Carolina and the second half against Middle Tennessee, the right side has been quite poor. Um, this is an opportunity to get right. So what do you guys believe to be more likely? An old school, say 45 nothing blowout, like we saw in years past against teams like Delaware and William and Mary or a 2019 Furman game where we're all kind of holding our breath at halftime, feeling sick to our stomach, wondering can things go even more wrong than they already have? I don't think this is, uh, I, I don't think this, this team is, um, I think, I think the team's built differently, you know, like, even though they didn't play very well against West Virginia last Saturday, the team didn't quit. I mentioned that on the last podcast for a reason, because I think a lot of other teams that have been coached by Fuente in the past would have, namely the 2018 team um, and that 2019 team that, you know, to the 2019 team's credit, like they did fought, they did fight back, excuse me, in the second half of the season when they made the quarterback switch and, you know, Hooker came in and, and they won whatever was six out of seven, the one game they lost there. Uh, was the Quincy Patterson game in South Bend. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's more likely that this game this Saturday will be like the Middle Tennessee State game a couple weekends ago where Virginia Tech, like Ricky mentioned, Virginia Tech gets out to an early lead and then they kind of sputter around a little bit and then they pull away just because they're more talented late and they win this game by like three or four touchdowns. Uh, because that game against Middle Tennessee State, all of us will agree, Tech didn't play particularly well. And they were up by 28 with two minutes left. And it was like, all right, they didn't play that great, but they, they were up four scores and they gave up a touchdown with like a minute left. It didn't matter. I think that's more likely than them being behind at halftime like they were against Furman a couple of years ago. I don't necessarily see that happening with this team. I think the defense is playing too well uh, to, to let that happen or to allow that to happen. That 2019 defense was very up and down in Bud Foster's final year. Very up and down. Um, hot and cold. And what we've seen now, this Virginia Tech defense through three games is that they've been largely pretty good. Um, a tough couple of possessions to open the game against West Virginia last weekend, but they did really settle down and the offense didn't necessarily do them any favors. I mean, the defense was on the field a ton, but I thought Tech's defense settled in and played much better late in the first half and definitely into the second half. So I think it's more likely it's like the game a couple weekends ago rather than Furman in 19 where Tech was just down 14 to three at halftime and half the stadium left. 
I think this game could look a lot like the actual 2017 game versus Delaware where Tech wins 27 to nothing, where you, you leave the game upset about the offensive performance and you leave the game feeling like the defense is, is, is on a really good rhythm. Um, that's just that's where we're at with this offense. I'm really hoping I'm wrong, but I just don't have the trust that they can go out there and put up 40 plus points against an inferior opponent. I just, that's not, this offense isn't capable of doing that as, as currently constructed. Now, if they're able to figure some things out as the season goes on, great. But I don't think Virginia tech is going to be knocking on the door 40 points and crossing that threshold in this game. I certainly hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, Justin Fuente said it himself. This isn't a team that's built to blow teams out and, I guess we haven't even really previewed Richmond. This is a halfway decent program in the FCS. Yes, they've taken a few steps back. But last week against Villanova, they hung tight, lost by a touchdown against what is the number 10 or 11, what was the number 10 or 11 team at that level. They're clearly competitive. There's no real rhyme or reason as to when these FCS upsets happen. So, if you guys know anything about Richmond, what scares you the most about them? I mean, nothing really scares me about Richmond. Like, I haven't done a ton of research into the team, but nothing really scares me. They're not, they're not a, an uber explosive offense. They don't have a a pass rush with one or two guys who have a chance to maybe catch on to NFL rosters, at least that I'm aware of. So it's not like the that this team has some stars on it that can all of a sudden pop off and have big games. What scares me is that Virginia tech just can't get over themselves and just steps on rakes, you know, on both sides of the football. <laughs> if this is a situation where that's not Bra- <laughs> Yeah. If they, if Braxton Burmeister's turning the ball over and Virginia tech is, you know, limiting themselves to 24 points, well, at that point, all you're all you need is just one or two missed gaps, and you're looking at big touchdowns. And it's the same thing if it's a blown coverage. Like it, it, it all comes down to whether or not Virginia Tech is going to make mistakes. And I'm I sorry. think if I think if Virginia Tech, I, I don't know why that line was so funny. It got it really got me. <laughs> they just stepped. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Stepping like, on rigs. That's what they did against Furman. That's what they they have done historically against. Um, these these smaller time programs is that they shoot themselves in the foot, they step on the rake, it hits them in the head, they're woozy for a minute, and then they you know they eventually get the job done, but they look foolish doing it, and that's that's what worries me. So I, I, nothing about Richmond really scares me, but it's a matter of this being a, a, an FCS program that is competent and capable of putting together a good showing and. We can see that, especially if Virginia Tech gives them the opportunity and opens the door. Yeah, there's some talent on this team, and I just had – I'm sorry. I had, like, Tom and Jerry in my head, like, (laughs) thinking of – I don't know. Anyway, um, there there is some talent. I I mean, Justin Fuente spoke to the the defensive line that Richmond has, mentioning that several of them could could play for Virginia Tech, which I don't know if that says more about Richmond or more about Virginia Tech's poor recruiting. But uh, probably I, I both. Say, boom, there it is. <laughs> uh, no, but they do. I mean, seriously, they do have some talent on the defensive line and their quarterback, Joe Mancuso, isn't bad either. Um, again, you're playing at a different level of football, but he completed 
you know, he's completed 62% of his passes this year. He's thrown for almost 700 yards. He's added almost 130 yards rushing on the ground as well, so he can move around a little bit. I wouldn't characterize him as a dual-threat quarterback, but I, I think of think of kind of like Sam Howell's style of play where he can sling it around and run where he needs to, not necessarily just like pure dual-threat. Uh, they got one-two punch at running back in Savon Smith and Aaron Dykes, uh, two capable running backs. Um, and a couple of pretty good receivers. Isaac Brown has 12 catches for 193 yards. He's averaging 16 yards a catch. So a little bit of a, of a home run threat there at receiver. But, you know, like Ricky said, this is all about Virginia Tech in this game. As FCS games tend to be, or low-level FBS teams like Middle Tennessee State tend to be, it's all about the opponent that's favored by multiple touchdowns, right? And Do them not stepping on rakes. And not stepping on rakes. Exactly. So this is purely a Virginia Tech centric game, right? Not to say that Richmond doesn't have any talent. They do have some guys who can play. But this is a Virginia Tech team that is much more talented and should win the game by multiple scores. They're playing at two levels of competition for a reason. Virginia Tech should win this game handily if they do what they're supposed to do and take care of business. Whether or not Virginia Tech does that, and gets it done early is a whole different conversation and something that I'm not particularly confident in at this point in time. The mismatch has got to be between Virginia Tech's wide receivers and the defensive backs for Richmond. And I understand why fans are clamoring for the Hokies to push it downfield. It'll just be interesting to see if it's going to happen. But we're running out of time here, boys. Let's get to our ACC picks. Last week, I won six and three, pushing me into the overall lead. Mike. Guy who hosts betting podcast, terrible, two and seven. <laughs> Ricky, guy who claims that you shouldn't listen to his advice, don't. Not much better. That being said, it's a new week. Missouri, I, I, I told you, don't listen. <laughs> Missouri, one and a half point favorites at Boston College. What do you think? I'm rolling with BC. I, I've been moderately impressed with their offense without Phil Dracovic. Um, I, I'm going to roll with Boston College. Uh, Missouri. It's a tough one, right? Because when I created my illusion that Boston College was going to be a really good team this year with Phil Dracovic, there were other players that factored into that equation. Veteran offensive linemen due for the NFL. Good wide receivers. I have no faith in Dennis Grossell, though. Give me Missouri. Here's one of the most interesting games. We are all very concerned about the offensive output of the Clemson Tigers. They're 10-point favorites on the road against a team that many considered to be the Robin of the Atlantic Division, North Carolina State. Clemson, 10-point favorites there. What do you think? Clemson is going to halfway get right in this game. They'll win by more than 10 points. They're not going to – I don't think they're going to run – NC State out of their own building, but Tigers will cover. I recorded a podcast. Uh, I, I hosted a national college football podcast for Sons of Saturday, and I had Kelly Gramlick on from the ACC Network today, and she's a Clemson grad and talks about Clemson every day on the radio in South Carolina. She talked me into Clemson, and she hasn't been very impressed with Clemson's offense, as we all have not been, right? But you know, she thinks that they'll figure it out eventually. They got to take some more chances with BJU. 
as a quarterback because they're worried about him getting hurt because they're not comfortable with the depth behind them. What does that sound like, boys? <laughs> uh, but my, my biggest thing is that, I, yes, I do think NC State has a very good chance of being the second best team in the Atlantic Division. What I am concerned about for NC State in this game is if you remember back a couple of weeks ago on the road against Mississippi State, NC State couldn't do anything against Mississippi State's defensive front. And I was very surprised by that. I actually thought NC State would win that game on the road in Starkville. And they didn't look very competitive at all up front in the trenches. And I worry about NC State as a 10-point dog, even at home, because I'm just not all that convinced they're going to be able to do enough in the running game with Bam Knight against Clemson's defensive front. Clemson lost defensive tackle Tyler Davis um, to injury last weekend. So that's obviously a very tough loss, but Clemson's got a really, really good defensive line. And I worry about NC State running against that front, and I just don't think Devin Leary can beat Clemson's defense for four quarters. Clemson's offense has a lot to figure out, but their defense doesn't. Their defense is one of the top three or four in college football. So I think Clemson wins this game by a couple scores on the road. I think they start to get right offensively, too, like Ricky mentioned. Yeah, I'm with you picking Clemson, guys. But that being said, after the Georgia game, I looked at South Carolina State and Georgia Tech as the get-right opportunities for Clemson's offense. Yeah. We know basically implementing entire new offensive personnel from what was a legendary offense in terms of output with ETN and Trevor Lawrence over the course of the last few years. Didn't think it would happen overnight. South Carolina State, that game doesn't matter at all whatsoever. Georgia Tech, a team that lost to Northern Illinois, the offensive struggles there, that scares me. I'm still going to take Clemson because I believe in Dabo Sweeney. But if this offense doesn't make a jump and say NC State picks a ball off, recovers a fumble, I mean, this could be upset alert. I don't believe it's going to happen, but I see a substantial chance Clemson today more vulnerable than they've been in half a decade in the ACC, and that's saying something. Speaking of vulnerable, Florida State's playing football again this week. They host Louisville. Louisville, a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. I'm just going to pick Louisville here. Anyone else? Uh, I'm going to go with Louisville. I just I, – I don't think it's going to be very convincing, though. I mean, I think people are like, oh, hammer Louisville. I, Louisville's been a little bit up and down, too. Like, it hasn't been all sunshine and roses for them, but I, I, think, they're, I think they're better than Florida State right now. So, I think if you're going to go one way or the other, I think you pick Louisville. Give me the Knolls. I, I, wow. I just I, – I, I can't Faith see them going zero and four. Faith I, is a terrible thing, Ricky. I can't. Come I on. can't see it. I, I just can't <laughs> see it. I'll take Florida State. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Vegas knows, man. They're only got it at one and a half. So, Vegas also said thirty-seven point favorites against Jacksonville State, Florida State. So they don't always know. Yeah, well, you know, more often than not, Vegas knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Nonetheless. We move on to America's game of the week. <laughs> With two programs that I'm sure have started 0-4 plenty of times. The Jayhawks <laughs> of Kansas travel to Duke. Blue Devils. A sneaky ACC coastal contender. 16-point favorites in that contest. Duke's not beating anybody by more than 16. I'll take Kansas. I'm taking Kansas, too. Duke forced five turnovers last weekend and won by a touchdown. Give me Kansas. 
Mateo Durant. Over 245 yards rushing after contact this He's year. Good. He's good. Could have been a hokey. Oh, wait, did I say that? That's my bad. Regardless, Kansas probably can't tackle. <laughs> Add on another 200. I'll take Duke. Don't doubt him, baby. Play it on Cameron Indoor. No kidding. <laughs> now, that would be something. Moving on. Carolina, Georgia Tech, the heels coming off of a game against Virginia that was close for three quarters, but ultimately ended up being a, a three-score victory for Carolina. Josh Downs looking good in that one. They're in Atlanta playing Georgia Tech as 12-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, Carolina. I I still don't trust. I, Georgia Tech, it was a great effort last weekend, and they played very well defensively. I just – it's hard for me to trust Jeff Collins to do this week after week when he's going out and losing to Northern Illinois and the Citadel. And, I, and now, uh, give, me, give me Carolina. Carolina lost a tough game in Blacksburg. It's a very tough spot for them in the opener environment wise I, I think they're going to get this thing I, as i said all along i thought carolina would get this thing going like late september early october and they put up 59 against uva so i think they keep it going here give me carolina yeah uh carolina may not blow georgia tech out but they'll win by at least two touchdowns so i'll take i'll take carolina offense defense special team coaching carolina's got the edge for a reason carolina's going to walk away with this one all right, bonus game doesn't really count as the ACC, but it would have last year, and it's pertinent for it's our a good one. next week. Notre Dame and Wisconsin at Soldier Field. Jack Cohn against his former team. The Badgers, six-and-a-half-point favorites. I think Wisconsin could win. I'm going to say Notre Dame covers, though, because Graham Mertz, Wisconsin's quarterback, is capable of throwing at the wrong team more often than not, and I think he could make a couple mistakes here to – either keep Notre Dame within arm's reach, I guess six and a half points isn't, isn't a huge line. So they're in arm's reach already, <laughs> but uh, I, I think Notre Dame can keep this thing close and potentially win this thing outright. I, I got Notre Dame. I, they just looked, I mean, I, I watched that game. I caught some of that game against Purdue last weekend. And it just seemed like Notre Dame was starting to figure some things out defensively, which look against Wisconsin, Wisconsin's got a good defense and Notre Dame's going to have to run the ball well and throw it well. But I think if you're figuring things out defensively, you don't let Wisconsin get out to a, get out to a lead. You know, you're going to have a pretty good chance of winning because their offense can only score so many points. So I'm, I'm going to go with Notre Dame here. Yeah. History will be the judge of whether Wisconsin made the right idea to roll with Mertz as the higher ceiling guy and let Cone go. But I believe that Cone is the more polished quarterback right now today. I think Wisconsin's got the better overall team. Obviously, Notre Dame has struggled. Six and a half is a lot of points. I'm going to go with Notre Dame here. It's going to be a uh, a truly mixed neutral site crowd there at Soldier Field. I mean, between Wisconsin and the great state of Indiana, both schools have a lot of alumni in that Chicago area. It should be an electric atmosphere, but it's a close one. I think closer than six and a half. I would have set this line at like two and a half, three at the most. Give me Notre Dame. Ricky? Notre Dame. And I think uh, it's going to bode poorly for Virginia Tech after this game. I think we're going to look at this game and, and tell that the Irish are, are really starting to figure things out um, as the Tech game approaches. I'll tell you what, if Notre Dame wins this game, then beats Cincinnati and South Bend, we're not going to be feeling great about the prospects of Tech in a couple of weeks. I will be telling you that right now, if they're able to win a couple. Some people are saying, oh, they got a couple tough games. You know, they could lose one because they haven't looked great. 
Brian Kelly coach teams kind of, if they start slow, they start to figure it out a little bit, figure it out, find an identity. That's what I'm concerned about for Virginia Tech in a couple of weeks is that Notre Dame has found an identity and we're moving into October when games really start to matter. Um, and that would be, that's a concern for me. If I'm well, Virginia Tech. Isn't it the total opposite of the situation that we have in North Carolina? You had a young team outside of Sam Howell and a veteran, but questionable offensive line playing in their first true road environment and what would be, the most hyped Virginia Tech game in years, and that played to Virginia Tech's advantage. With Notre Dame, they had question marks coming in, offensive line, quarterback position coming into the season, but they have a few true tests to figure it out. So this right. two-week period, like you said, Mike, I mean, we could come in really confident. Wisconsin could blow the brakes out of them. They barely beat Toledo. Yeah. Purdue wasn't a convincing win. <laughs> Florida State obviously has shown their true colors, and – Notre Dame had to go above and beyond to win that game. But I believe, like you said, with a coach like Brian Kelly, this team can develop over time. And if they do that, this might be the Notre Dame team coming into Lane Stadium that we thought they were going into the season. Two weeks to judge. Yeah, and not to drone on and on about this, but like there's a little bit of a parallel to Carolina as well where you know, the reason why I thought Virginia Tech could win the opener is because Carolina was so inexperienced and it was an opener and you had Lane Stadium and it was just a lot for Carolina to overcome in an opener. But if that game takes place in like mid-October, I'm favoring Carolina by probably 10 to 12 points, right? I feel a little bit different about it because of where it fell on the schedule. Same thing here, just kind of like the inverse. Notre Dame's a more veteran team, but they're breaking a new quarterback, still trying to figure it out. Which we're not going to go down a total rabbit hole here, but for those of you that are writing off Carolina because Tech beat them week one, stop it. Don't. Stop it. They are still, in my eyes, the favorite in the coastal. Whatever. I did these games in the wrong order, so we're moving back to Friday with a game that I am excited about. Wake Forest, who has shown some offensive firepower through a few weeks against UVA, who has shown some offensive firepower through a few weeks. At Scott Stadium, the Cavs, four-point favorites. Give me Wake Forest, Steeman Deeks. I'm going with Wake in an upset because they are the more complete football team. Not to say UVA hasn't been hasn't been good on offense. They've been excellent, and Armstrong's been really, really good. But UVA defensively makes me nervous going up against this Wake Forest offense. I get there at home, but I think this is a, a good spot for Wake Forest to go in and potentially pull off an upset. Love Wake's offense. Love their experience. Imagine what they could be with Kenneth Walker had he not gone to Michigan State. Kids leading the nation in rushing right now. Uh, but I like Wake here. To your point, Mike, UVA, Brennan Armstrong, looking good. The team overall got some holes. I don't see that on Wake Forest. Last game before the game that we came here to talk about, Liberty on the road in the Dome against Syracuse. Syracuse six-point underdogs in this one. Malik Willis, apparently the number one pick in the draft. Every time I hear praise from Malik Willis, I just cringe. Um, not be and Not anything against him. But I'll take the Flames here. Um, I love my boy Dino, but Liberty's the better football team, hands down. I know it's the Jiffy Pop Dome on a Friday night. Th weird things happen there, uh, but give me, give me Liberty. I am on Liberty as well. I think they're better. In the creative words of someone at an ad agency somewhere in this great country, Liberty, 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 Liberty. The flames. Thank you for this that. Couldn't even be close. 
All right, last one. I found a spread on this game. It took me a long time. It's basically why I provided no analysis for the Liberty game at all whatsoever. Not the Liberty game, for the Richmond game at all whatsoever. Richmond at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, 31 and a half point favorites. Holy uh, Richmond. heck. Ri- uh, Richmond. Richmond. And I mean, Virginia Tech. And a half? Virginia Tech could win by multiple scores they could win by 35 i you know they they didn't look competent against like i mentioned earlier they didn't look competent against middle tennessee state they were up by 28 with a minute left or whatever it was I, they could certainly pull away and, and win by more than 31 but like gun to my head i'm i'm taking the taking the underdog i mean justin fuente said they're not built to blow anybody out why would i take them to cover 31 points uh yeah bingo i'll just It'd be great I'll play the odds here. I wouldn't be blown if they do cover this. Don't get me wrong. It would be an idea. I won't be betting it. Who cares? But I'll I'll be happy. But yeah, I just don't see that many scenarios where this game ends in a massive blowout. So give me Richmond. Yeah, I think my reaction to you announcing the spread confirms my pick of Richmond here. (laughs) Um, There's, I just, there, there, I have no substantial evidence to believe that Virginia Tech can score enough points to win this game by more than 31. Uh, I do think the defense is going to play pretty good. I'm not too worried about them giving up more than um, 14 to 17 points max. And I think Tech can 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 cover that in terms of beating R- Richmond, but they're not covering 31. Absolutely not. All right, last thing before we go. Couldn't find a spread on Miami and Central Connecticut State. I looked very hard, couldn't find it. Mike, what's wrong with Miami? They're mid. Uh, De'Ara <laughs> King is hurt. The offensive line is bad, and they can't run the football. Other than that, oh, and Manny Diaz seems like can't he's coach. in way over his head. But other than yeah. that, they look great. <laughs> All right, any last words other than rate, review, subscribe? You can get the tickets to that Miami game for 6 bucks on StubHub. Yes. <laughs> um, since Mike did his shameless plug uh, of his 6,000 podcasts earlier, uh, shameless plug for Dulles District. I'll have game day content this weekend since your boy is going to the game in the press box. Looking forward to it. Um, game with a cool guy. Yeah, it, it'll be a lot of fun. This is my first game in three years, so I am I am absolutely ready to go. I'm mitching for it. Yeah, honestly, uh, next week's the bye week. We'll recap Richmond. Maybe we can get a guest out in the middle of the week or something like that. We haven't had a guest in a minute here, and uh, – Maybe Dave Scarangelli, a boy from Dulles District, would be a good voice to have uh, contribute in the middle of the week. Heading into depends that on how this game looks. I think I think if Virginia Tech just kind of flails around versus Richmond, I'm telling you, he he's a little irritated after the West Virginia game. So if they go out here and just fool around against Richmond and and win by you know two scores, I don't think he's going to be very happy. But isn't that a better time to come on? <laughs> if you're better not- time for us, not better for him. <laughs> better for the listeners. Maybe. Yeah, but it would be yeah, it would be better for the listeners. Absolutely. We just like all kinds of different perspectives around here at the Hokie Hangover Podcast. Thanks to Main Street Pharmacy. We all have Twitters. Mike's super active all day, every day. At Mike McDaniel SOS. Ricky's at Ricky LeBlue. Find me at Andrew Alex Radio. That's Andrew A L I X Radio. We'll be back next week, probably like Monday or Tuesday, to talk about what is hopefully a relatively uneventful Richmond game, but you never know. That's why we watch the games, and that's why you stick around with the Hokie Hangover podcast. Until then, my friend, go Hokies.